This message encourages and inspires you today. All right, uh, we are on our week number four of our series, Amazing Grace. How many of you are amazed at the grace of God uh, that sustains us every single day? Amen. And so, as Pastor Bodhi has mentioned, this past month was just an uh, you know a very full month. Uh, you've probably heard of uh, and seen in your po- in the social media a lot of negative things that happened, not only in our nation but all around the world. Um, you know, things about eruption, things about fire, things about assassination, things about close to, you know, World War III. My, my kids are asking, is it World War III, Dad? I don't think so. Um, but yet, we can respond in fear. But I believe that we need to view it from the perspective of God. Amen. That God is in charge. God is the one who's in control. And I believe that He will never leave us or forsake us in the midst of all this chaos seemingly around the world. We need to respond in faith. Amen. Everybody say faith. And I believe that that is what we're talking about. Yes, faith combined with grace. Faith is something that you actually, uh, you know, give to God. You know, something like a response to His grace. Grace is something that's given to us. We trust Him based on His goodness and His love for each and every one of us. So we're talking about the amazing grace. Um, last uh, Monday morning, I was awakened by, you know, as I was talking about, you know, an eventual week that passed. I was awakened by my uh, youngest daughter and, you know, I was kind of like, alam uh, Tagalog na alimpongatan, you know. It was like, I don't know, 6 o'clock in the morning or less before 6 o'clock. My youngest daughter entered my room, went to my bedside and, and told me, Dad, Kobe Bryant is dead. Kobe and Gianna. And so um, it was like a shock of shocks. I said, you know, maybe that's fake news. And so I, that was like the time when I actually stood up, you know, just like that. It's like drinking coffee without the caffeine yet, okay? But I believe that you've heard the news and it was a sad, um, of course, sad turn of events. It's a, it was an accident. And uh, I can't imagine the pain and the, the agony that uh, his wife, uh, Vanessa, is going through right now, losing a husband, losing a, a daughter, um, just losing a son many years ago is just very painful. But I cannot imagine the, the pain that they're going through right now as a family. That's why I believe that God's amazing grace uh, would be able to sustain you know, uh, the family right now. And of course, not only them, but those who passed away uh, in the same helicopter, uh, sometimes they get overshadowed by the, the big star that was in the helicopter, but they are also in the same plane uh, equal in the eyes of God. Amen. Each of them are valuable souls in the eyes of God. And so we're talking now about grace. We're talking about the grace that we need every single day. I believe that it's the grace of God that saves. It's the grace of God that teaches us. It's the grace of God that sustains each and every one of us. And the topic for this morning is the enriching grace. Everybody say enriching grace. You know, when you talk about enriching grace, it comes from the root word rich. How many of you would like to be rich? Okay. We like that. We like the term rich. I believe no one likes to be poor. God wants us to be rich. But what does it mean for us to be rich? What does it mean for us to receive the enriching grace of God? This grace, the same grace that changes, the same grace that saves, is the one that sustains, is the one that enriches. 
And I believe that today we're going to look at another facet or aspect of this grace uh, that is only given to us by God Himself. So if you have your Bibles, we'll go ahead and read the Word this morning. Uh, please open to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 6 to 12. We'll be reading from the ESV version. I'd like to invite everybody to stand. Uh, we stand because we want to give reverence to the Word of God. We stand at attention to His Word, His, this Word. Uh, we put in high respect and honor. That's why every time we read it, uh, we want to give full attention and respect to the Word of God. So reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to verse 12. You may follow along with me. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap what? Bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? A cheerful giver. And glance at the person beside you, okay? And just smile, right? God loves a cheerful giver. In verse 8, And God is able to make all grace, everybody say all grace, all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times you may abound in every good work. As it is written, He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Let's all read from verse 12 all together. One, two, three. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the, Lord, the reading and the preaching of your word. Once again, we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would come and teach us your ways. Uh, give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better today. And I thank you, Lord, that you have indeed given us this grace to be made rich, not to be in lack, not to be in poverty, not to just have barely enough, but to have an overflowing uh, situation, an overflowing uh, grace, an overflowing in our life, in our hearts, in our, in our uh, families, in our workplace, in our school. We thank you, Lord God, that you are a God of, of more than enough. And we continue to honor you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may all be seated. All right, so this is uh, week number four of uh, our series on grace. And as we have talked about last week, we focused on God's sanctifying work in our lives, God's sanctifying grace. And I've actually uh, put in a term about grace. Grace is the effective overflow of God's loving presence in our lives, okay? Grace is the effective overflow. Everybody say overflow, you know, it's, it's not just barely enough. God wants us to stay in a splash zone, so to speak. God wants us to overflow in generosity. God wants us to overflow uh, in the riches that He wants to give to us. And so I believe that the reason why we're called victory is because, you know, tagumpay, you know, we're, 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 we've won the victory through Christ. And we, we know that in every situation, whether it, uh, in a, it's a situation of challenge, maybe you're going through tough times right now, at the end of it all, we will find grace that sustains. Amen. And so it's an effective overflow of God's divine presence in our lives. There's a 
I'm not sure if it's a theologian, somebody once coined that grace stands with the acronym G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. That somehow there is a divine exchange every time you talk about grace. Grace, yes, it's free for us, but God cost him a lot. How many of you know when you talk about generosity, somebody's paying for that? That's why when you talk about us being generous, it starts with God being the source that God first gave to us. And the only way that we can be generous to others is because God first was generous to each and every one of us. God's riches at Christ's expense. Somebody pay the price. You know, when you're going to a restaurant, for example, uh, you know, like last weekend, we last weekend, yeah, last weekend we were with a couple of friends and we just had dinner. Our intention was to pay for our meal, but yet this couple, alam yung inunahang kayo, yung sumimple, and you know th- that's how sometimes generosity begins. You know, it's. Not under compulsion, it's just freely given. We were the beneficiary of that gift of a dinner and we received the grace and we received the generosity. But how many of you know that this dinner that we ate last Friday was not free? Somebody paid for it. And we're thankful for that couple. So we said, let's have dessert. This time, I gave my card to the waiter, Akinto. Order what you want. And so it was my turn to pay the bill. They were grateful, but somebody paid for it. That's the work of grace. That's the work of generosity. And we feel that, you know, God's generous to us. Yes, that is so true. God is generous. But it was not without cost. It was not without a bite. It was not without a little bit of, mm. and how many of you that sometimes, actually many times, when you give, you feel a little bit of pinch, mm. especially if it's radical or sacrificial giving. But then the attitude towards giving is, you know, God loves a cheerful giver. You know, when you talk about grace, J.I. Packer said, grace is God's love in action. That's what you call, a, what, what, that's what, it's what grace is all about. It's God's love expressed. You know, naturally and physically. You know, it's, it's, you can't, you can actually give without loving, but you can never love without giving. You know, sometimes you give without any emotion. You know, like for example, if, you know, if you go and buy something, you know, I would buy sometimes, whether it's in a fast food chain or maybe in a store, and you would see a can they're, you know, asking for like a, uh, like support the young children or support this orphan, something like that. Uh, you know, when you see some change that was given to you by the cashier, without even thinking, you just put there a change. Without any emotion. Without any affection. You can give without love. But yet on the other hand, when you talk about love, if you love someone, you can't love without giving. How many of you are tracking with me? You know, last night, my, my youngest daughter 
uh, I don't know, after we, we went to, yeah, we went to uh, somewhere in BGC. Just a secret for a while, okay? We went to BGC, father-daughter, took a P2P bus, uh, taught her how to commute. Here's how to commute from Market Market to Alabang Town Center, okay? And so it was an experience. Uh, she liked it. And then we went home. I was studying. And I asked her, would you like to cook dinner for the family? And so, okay, dad, I'll do it. So she took tuna, made tuna pasta. Automatically, she made, you know, spaghetti. She, she prepared a wonderful meal. We all ate to our heart's content. Now the question is, who's going to wash the dishes? You know how it is. You don't have a maid, you know. So sometimes, ah, I can give an excuse. I am studying for the preaching tomorrow. I am excused. And the other daughter said, okay, I can wash my plate. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, we all have these different excuses. And so as I was just studying, and it's already like 10, no, 9.30, and the pots and the pans are still there on the stove. And everybody's doing their own thing, you know, already. And so some are reading, some are doing this. And I just started just doing it one at a time. And I asked the same daughter. I said, I just texted actually, would you like to wash the pots and the, the, pots and the pans? The same daughter who cooked. <laughs> and without batting an eye, I said, I'm going to do it, Dad. And she did, finished it. And I said, that's generosity. She gave her time. She didn't count anything anymore. She didn't count the fact that she was the one who prepared the meal. Because in how many of you sometimes, we think when you talk about generosity, we think about being fair. We think about, you know, you did this to be fair. You, did, you, know, you give the other uh, child the responsibility of doing another chore so that they can serve. And I believe that when you talk about generosity, generosity is really giving out of what you have, even if it hurts. So when you talk about enriching grace, enriching grace is expressed in radically or radical generosity that blesses the receiver and gives honor to God ultimately. That is, I believe, what enriching grace is all about. Enriching grace is not about you having fat wallets. Enriching grace is not about us just being successful in our business. Yes, that's part of that. Enriching grace is not just you having a great time because your investments are gaining in the stock market. That's part of that, but that's not all of it. In fact, enriching grace is not about us. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, it's not about you. Enriching grace, the end result of enriching grace is not about me. It's not fulfilling my dreams. It's not traveling the world. It's not about that. Enriching grace, I believe, is only a means to an end, which is to receive, to make God glorious. And so that it will actually result in a lot of thanksgivings with an S to God. My question for all of us this morning is that when God prospers us, does that prosperity result in thanksgivings? to God, not only by your family, but by the people around you. That, I believe, is what enriching grace is all about. 
in verse 11, it says, and you will be enriched. In fact, I would like to invite everybody to, reach, uh, to read this out loud. In unison, one, two, three. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Can you imagine the superlatives that is found in this verse? In you, who is that talking to? Us. Look at the person beside you. Tell the person, you. You, you and I will be enriched in every way to be generous. The purpose of being made rich is not so that we can travel, not so that you can buy a new pair of shoes, not so that you can buy a new bag or new clothes or buy a new house or a new car. I mean, that's just a, an icing on the cake. But the real purpose of, genero- of enriching, God will make sure that we are rich in every way so that we can be what? Generous in every way. Because God loves a cheerful giver. If you look at this word, cheerful, it comes from the word hilarious. How many of you have heard hilarious? Literally, the, the Greek word of cheerful is hilarious. As in, <laughs> have you ever given to the point of, all in or all out. Everything has been out. God loves a cheerful giver. It's disposed because you have been satisfied. It describes the, the act of someone who has been so persuaded about doing this in the first place. No one will tell him that he needs to do it. He's already decided upon giving and I'm going to do it even if I am not prompted to do it. That's what cheerful giving is all about. Cheerful means being happy, joyful, in high spirits. Another way of describing Describing being cheerful is being a joyful giver. Joy does not come from any gifts you and I receive. Joy does not come from, you know, having all your needs met. But in this particular case, joy has been found in actually giving out, not in receiving. You know, many times when you talk about, you know, why are you happy? You know, for example, you know, if you ask small kids, why was this Christmas memorable? You know, because I received a toy that I've been praying for. Yeah, that's great. But I believe that the greater joy that you and I will actually experience is not just a joy to receive, but it's a joy to give. In the words of Christ, in the book of Acts, in red letter word, it is more blessed to give than to receive. From the very, the very words of our Savior. Cheerful giving, in other words, is a heart issue. It's not an issue of the wallet. It's not an issue of the purse. It's not an issue of your checkbook. It's not an issue of the amount that you write there. It's an issue of the heart. The source of radical generosity is really coming from the overflow of the heart that you and I have received from God. 
Some people give out of obligation. Some people give out of compulsion. Many give out of recognition. Sometimes we give so that people will see that we are generous people. I hope that our motivation of giving is not like that. In fact, sometimes we check our motives. Why do we want to like, take pictures of the relief efforts that we have? Not that we can brag it to the world, but just so that we can actually thank you. That your goods and that your generosity is touching lives and reaching the people for which it was purpose to be given out to. That's the only motive. Not so that we can be, you know, we are a better church, a better you know, organization. You know, not so that we can actually flaunt to the world that we are a generous people. But so that we can just give a simple report and we can say, thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for your heart. Thank you for your act of kindness. Another word for enriching grace, I believe, is called grace giving. It's grace giving. Some people are saying, you know, Pastor, uh, where do you find tithing in the New Testament? Do you still believe in tithing? You know, some people are actually problematic about the term tithing because they're saying it's an Old Testament practice by the Jewish people. Yes, it is Old Testament. Tithing is an Old Testament practice. But Jesus just assumed, even as he was rebuking the Pharisees, and he was talking about the tithing, you should have done this without neglecting the former. And he was talking about tithing in that case. And then we talk about the writings of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And tithing was not even mentioned. In fact, something better than tithing was mentioned. And it's called radical generosity. It's called grace giving. And you will be made rich in every way so that in every, ever say every, not just in the 10%, in every part of your finance, in every part of your time, in every part of your resource, in every part of your talent, in every part of your being. You can be generous. It's not just about us giving finances. And I'm grateful for you guys, for this church, our different locations and congregations, for the generosity. You and I are on the same page. When you tithe, we also give as pastors and staff. But yet, we do that not out of compulsion, but we do that out of a heart to glorify God. And yet, when you talk about giving, the grace giving in effect here is, it's really beyond the tithe. The tithe is the minimum. Back in the day, the Pharisees would actually feel that they're generous because they're tithing. And they brag about themselves. They fast once a week. And when they fast, they don't just do one meal, by the way. They fast 24 hours. And they give faithfully their tithes to God. Let's go to chapter 8, you know, the previous chapter of this. God loves a cheerful giver. And, you know, where does all this thing come from? In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1, the Apostle Paul was actually asking, basically, you know, this letter was mainly 
written to the Corinthians, challenging them because there's a big need about the Macedonian, uh, you know, a big need in, in, in uh, the Jerusalem churches. And he was bragging about the Macedonian churches in verse 1, chapter 8. And he said, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace. Everybody say grace. The grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. And he was kind of bragging about this group of people. And in verse 2, it says, Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in what? Rich generosity. You know, how can that be? You know, when you're in trial, when you're in poverty, the natural response, human response, is to complain. The natural human response is to be in despair. The natural human response is to be desperate and to be on a posture of receiving and not giving. How many of you are tracking with me? But yet the Apostle Paul in verse 1, I want to commend you the grace that the Lord has given to the Macedonian churches. That's why I was talking about this formula for thanksgiving. Severe trial plus overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals what? Rich generosity. There you go. Some people would say that the ultimate goal that they have in life is that they will be generous. That's a goal. Someday, pastor, when God blesses me, pastor, I will give. Do we really have to wait for that time when you're earning millions already or maybe hundreds of thousands before you start being generous? I believe the starting point is now. It's easier to give when you have nothing. It's harder to give when you have a lot. How many of you have experienced that? How many of you know that tithing out of 100 is just easy? It's 10 pesos. You don't even think about it. The parking is even more expensive than that. What? And if your income increases to 10,000, how many of you know that tithing a little bit becomes harder? Because from 10 pesos, you are now giving what? 1,000 pesos. And now you're thinking, this is more than my previous income of 100 pesos. Here's what I'll do. I'll pray to God to give you back 100 pesos again for your income. So it's easier to give. And then when your income starts to increase, 20,000, 2,000, to 50,000, 5,000, 200,000, 10,000. That's tithing. And that's not even enriched giving. That's not even radical generosity there. The Apostle Paul is saying, and you will be made rich in every way, so that in every occasion you will be generous. Verse 3, it says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even what? Beyond their ability. There are people who give according to what they have. 
But there are those crazy, insane people who are so radical in their generosity and they give beyond their ability to give entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us. Have you ever seen people like that who would beg, please naman, allow me to give. Sometimes people beg because they need money. Beggars in the streets, they beg to receive. But these people, they beg to have the opportunity to give. The privilege of sharing in the service of the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave. They were expecting this. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. You know why it was easy for them to give money? First, they gave themselves to the Lord. They gave everything. And that's what generous, uh, radical generosity is all about. It's a giving of oneself. We're grateful for you guys for helping out the Ta'al victims. We know that the work is just started. It has just began. Further ministry is needed. You know, we need medical doctors. We need counselors in those places. And maybe some of them are back in their homes, but they don't have livelihood. And so I believe that God wants us to continue. And I believe that there are still some who are giving. Verse 7 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You know, I was going through the web as I was preparing for this sermon and I googled on, you know, I think Mr. Google, I googled on the 20 most generous people in the world. And, you know, these are those that have billions in their bank account. It wouldn't even impact or affect their net worth. It wouldn't even affect their lifestyle. But yet they're generous because secular giving is all about the amount. And these are some of the richest billionaires on the planet that we have right now. Of course, you, we all know that Bill Gates is a very generous philanthropist. In fact, one of the richest uh, billionaires back in the day, in the turn of the century, by the name of Andrew Carnegie said, uh, he once set the standard for giving back. He said, no man can become rich without himself enriching others. I'm not sure if he's a Christian, but he knows exactly what the wealth was for. And he said, the man who dies rich, dies disgraced. Hmm. Got an interesting statement from a multi-billionaire back in the 1900s. But yet, when you talk about generosity, the first, I guess the first mindset that we have is it's all about money. That's the first thing that comes to mind. When you're generous, when somebody's generous, okay, 
that person is a giver in terms of finances. But yet when you read from Isaiah chapter 32, it says the generous makes generous plans and by generous what? Deeds they stand. It doesn't even refer to finances. It doesn't even you know, refer to any amount or any financial obligation or opportunities that they, they do. Generosity should be something that is so deep in us that it is for pervasive in all areas of life. And money is only one part of it. I believe that is what generosity is all about. You talk about someone who's being generous, money is just but a fraction of the generosity of this person. Money is not the summary or the summation of the generosity of a person. It's one area. An example that we can actually find in Scripture is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember that Pharisee? They're both praying in the temple and the Pharisee is saying, Lord, I thank you because I tithe, I fast, and I am not like this tax collector. Remember that prayer? He actually prayed about himself. He's one guy who's generous. He tithed. He was generous because he fasted but he was generous with the wrong motive. Whereas this tax collector, he said, he was beating his chest and said, God, I don't deserve to be here. Be merciful to me. I'm asking for your mercy and your generosity. You cannot measure generosity solely in the currency of money. There's more to that when you talk about generosity. So very quickly, you know, uh, I was listening uh, to uh, Tim Keller, he was talking about generosity. And, you know, there are different aspects of generosity. One aspect, another aspect is emotional space. You know, sometimes when you talk about generosity, we think that the only currency that we have is finances. There are other currencies of generosity. First is, second is, uh, sorry, another aspect is emotional space. Some people are willing to give money, but they don't want to share their emotions to others. They don't want to invest emotionally with people because they say that nakakapagod. And how many of you know that there are people who are sometimes very draining? There's a book that came out years ago that somehow unfairly classifies people. There's what you call the VDP. I've heard of this. And the term VDP stands for very draining person. So talaga. As in like the label. And there's a VIP, very important person. And what this, what this book is saying, if you want to usher your energies, go ahead and find people around you that are VIPs and not VDPs. And some of you have classified people that you're not worthy of my time in my emotional space because you're draining every time I get around you. And you don't know that maybe you're the one who can actually give life to this person. Because maybe he was not feel, feeling loved, accepted, valued. And you as a Christian, if you're really generous, will give out of what you have. Emotionally invest in the lives of people. Another currency is what you call physical space. Some people, this is talking about hospitality basically. Some people would rather give, but they don't want you to come into their homes. They don't want you to even sit on their sofa nor step on the rug. 
they'd rather give finances. Okay, anyway, you know, I can just issue a check and then that's it. Because how many of you sometimes when you issue a check, that's it. Don't think about it. Do what you want to do with it. I'm not going to be involved. But people who are radically generous, they invest in their emotions with others. They invest in their hospitality as well. Another currency that I've heard is what you call relational equity. And this talks about being fair. This talks about that when you give, I'm expecting something in return. Hmm. Do you know people like that? Are we like that? When we give, do we expect favor from someone else? You know, these are the people who keeps two accounts. First account that they keep is the people that they've actually helped and extended help to. Because they're expecting help from those people. The other account are the people who wronged them and offended them. They're keeping an account. And what they're saying is, one day I'm going to collect. How many of you know that when you talk about generosity, it means so much more than money? Another currency of generosity is what you call time. How many of you have 24 hours a day? Please raise your hand. Only Gouda has 25 hours a day, right? And sometimes we don't want to be inconvenienced. We don't want to be delayed in our schedule. We don't want interruptions in our life. I'd rather just give and then don't bother me. I'll keep my time to myself. But radical generosity is a life of giving instead of taking. It's a life of self-giving and self-donation. It's actually just thinking more about others and not thinking about yourself. It's thinking about what you can actually give to enrich the life of another person. That's what radical generosity is all about. Money is definitely a part of this, but it is definitely more than finances. In the NASB verse 10 says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Ultimately, God is the starting point. He is the source. He is the supplier. The one that supplies the seed and the bread is God himself. Amen. It's interesting that this particular verse is talking about seed and bread. Everybody say seed. Everybody say bread. When you receive something from the Lord, your income, you ask the Lord, Lord, is this a seed? Is this a bread? Because many times you would consider everything to be bread. <laughs> we like to consume everything. Lord, thank you for this income. In fact, you know, one of my friends said, hindi pa nga yung sweldo, nakasapatos na. Because, you know, you're just, it's just here to come and go. It came to pass. Because you've ordered everything from Amazon already and Lazada and you've got to pay all. Anyway, but you ask yourself, is this a seed that I need to sow? Is this a bread I need to consume? The Bible says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will increase the harvest of righteousness. He will multiply that seed. The more you sow, the more you will reap. God's, God's part is, 
He supplies. Our part is what? Sow the seed. Don't eat everything. You know, sometimes you eat the seed. You know, it's kind of like the pakwan or, you know. We think that every seed is for consumption. I believe that there are seeds that are meant for sowing. Luke 6.38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be what? Measured to you. It's a mirror of what the Apostle Paul was talking about. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Remember the preaching, the first of the year, about Vision 2020, about having a bountiful eye? A bountiful eye is not just about having a clear eye for the vision that's ahead of you, but it's having a generous heart. And this is the grace of the seed, as I summarize it very quickly. The grace of the seed is basically, it's the miracle that happens when you sow. How many of you know, if, you know because we're not into farming, but if you sow, how many of you know that you don't have any control anymore of what you sow? Everything is actually in the hands of God already. You only have control over that seed, whether you're going to eat it or whether you're going to sow it. When you eat it, of course, you know that it's gone. But when you sow it also, you know that it's gone. But the grace of God moves when you sow that seed. Because when you talk about sowing, first thing is you reap what you sow. It talks about same kind. Whatever it is. You sow finances, you'll reap finance. You'll sow kindness, you'll reap kindness. You sow affection, you'll reap affection. You sow a complaint, you'll reap what? Complaint. You sow mistrust, you'll reap mistrust. What you sow, so what you reap. Second thing, you reap after you sow. It talks about season in our life. We live in a microwave generation. We want everything instant. We want everything right now, fast. But sometimes seeds, especially those high-bearing seeds, it takes time before it produces a harvest. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9 talks about that. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper what? Time. We will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Just so. So beyond your finances. So your hospitality. So your trust. So your relational equity. In fact, it is so easy to give a complaint than a compliment to people. My challenge for us, before giving any complaint, in fact, if you can actually withhold your complaint, give a compliment instead. This is so true in your family, in your own home, so true in your workplace, so true in your small group, so true in this church, so true in this nation. It is easy to find things that we can actually complain about. How many of you will say amen to that? It's so easy to find something that you can actually complain about. Whether it's the parking, whether it's the aircon, whether it's the preaching, whether it's the kids, whether it's your lunch later on, whether it's your husband or your wife, whether it's something about your dress, your bad hair day, your pimple. But it takes a lot more effort to do a compliment. Because in complimenting, you find you open up your eyes. 
and learn to appreciate. And last is you reap more than you sow. It's always a lot more. You don't receive the same number of seeds that you've planted. You normally receive a lot more. Someone famous said, and I forgot, you can count the number of seeds in an apple, but you cannot count the number of apples in a seed. So true. There are things that we have given in the past that we're still reaping until today. Church, brothers and sisters, my family, let's learn to give. Let's learn to sow. Let's ask ourselves, when you receive money, let's ask ourselves, what is this money for? Is it to meet your need? Is it to satisfy your greed? Or is it a seed? What is that for? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. And you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. There's a story of Alexander the Great. Every time they conquered a new territory, he was known to be someone who was open-handed. In one new conquered land, there was a beggar who was asking for alms. And one of his men was so surprised because Alexander handed this beggar a big gold coin. And this aide asked him, Sir, why do you have to give a gold coin? It's too much for the beggar's need. A copper coin would be more than enough for him. Alexander said, yes, a few copper coins would have suited his beggar's needs. But gold coins will suit Alexander's giving. It represents him. And when you talk about the generosity of God for us, it's not based on our need. It's always based on His generosity for us. That's why going back, as I come to a close, in Matthew chapter 20, this parable of the workers, I'm just going to summarize this. The landowner was hiring people throughout the day. And first hour, he was hiring them. And he said, I'm going to pay you a denarius. And he continued hiring. And he promised them to pay the same amount, a denarius. And the 11th hour, the, 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 you know, the, the last batch of workers, he said, I'm going to pay a denarius. And then he started paying them at the end of the day. And the last guys received a denarius, true to form. They received what was promised. And the guys in the first in the line, the guys who worked first, they were expecting something more than a denarius. And they all received a denarius as well, just like the last guys. And they were complaining. It's unfair. Because he said, you know, somehow you hired these last workers and you gave them the same amount as we received. How many of you know that in the world's mindset, that seems unfair? But if you, look at, if you look at God's perspective, it is just so much out of whack generosity. It was fair for the first hour worker. It was radical generosity for the 11th hour worker. And I have good news for you. 
we are all 11th hour worker. Not one of us is the first hour worker. We don't deserve what we're getting from God. We don't deserve any of the grace of God. We don't deserve any of the gifts from God. But God gave it to us generous, generously. Enriching grace is expressed by God's radical generosity for us. It blesses us who receives it. Ultimately, it gives Him back all the honor and glory. Amen. Can we just bow our heads right now as we come? Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.victoryalabang.church.